time is the most important thing, I think, in terms of, well, not just building great family, but building a great life, actually, how we choose to use our time. But although time is the most precious thing we have, it's also, I think, the most easily cheated. And oftentimes you see people cheating uh, time from different places. uh, Some of you have heard this story before. I was on a a beach uh, two or three years ago with our family, and we'd gone out uh, down to Bournemouth for the day on the beach. And uh, whilst we were there, it was interesting to observe other people and what they were doing. And there was a family not far from us on the beach, a couple of kids and mum and dad. And dad spent virtually the entire day walking up and down the beach with his ear glued to his mobile phone. And he was clearly talking to work because you could overhear some of the conversation. At times, he would even be walking up and down the beach with a kite in one hand or a bucket or a spade, a child kind of following on behind and the mobile phone on the other talking to uh, work. And see, that to me is a cheating of time. And in fact, it's cheating two lots of people. It's cheating work, and it's cheating family. And time is often cheated like that. And if we're honest, and if I'm honest, how many times have we done that? Had our minds on one thing whilst we're supposed to be doing another? Or supposed to be invested in one thing only to become easily distracted into something else? This new reality that we're living in, which we began to talk about last week, isn't any worse than the reality of the world 20, 30, 40 years ago. But it is different. It's far too easy for us to say, oh, things like weren't what they were. When I was growing up, I'm fine, I'm doing this, and I never thought I would. It wasn't like this when I was growing up. And I say this to our children. I found myself saying this to one of our children the other day. If I'd spoken to my parents like you're speaking to me now, I'd have been belted into the middle of next week. Do you find yourself doing that? It's not like it was when I was growing up. But we are living in a new reality. The world is different now. Uh, Technology, the internet, communications, our ability to be mobile, uh, our uh, time is often more squeezed these days. Or at least there are more options for us in how we use our time. And so the world that we live in is different. Not worse, just different. And in this new reality time becomes even more precious. And planning carefully, I think, becomes even more significant. And I wonder if you ever feel pressed for time, or whether you ever feel guilty about not spending enough time with your family, or if the time you do spend with your family is constantly spent thinking about something else. We're going to find out, I hope today, how we spend our time wisely, how we use it properly, and how we should split it up. And I hope by the end you'll have some really good ideas about how you can do this. And what I think we're going to learn is that planning our time ensures that we make the most of every God-given opportunity. And actually, God has a huge amount to say on this subject. And there are loads of different parts of the Bible that we could go to to find help in this. But this morning we're just going to use one. And that's from a letter this guy we've talked about before called Paul one of the very first Christians, one of the very first church leaders, wrote to one of his churches, and this was in a place called Ephesus. So this is his letter to the Ephesians. And uh, in chapter 5, verse 15, it starts like this. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, 
making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Notice that planning is very important in these first verses. Planning is very important. Paul says, don't be unwise, be wise, and make the most of every opportunity. Planning is important so that we can do that. And the consequences of planning are dire. Paul says this world that we live in, these days that we live in, are often evil. And if we don't plan properly, or if we don't live wise lives, making the most of of every opportunity, we can be drawn in, we can give in to this evil days that we're living in. So the consequences of not planning are dire. And living as we do in this new reality in the Western world in the 21st century, we have to live with huge pressures on our time and a huge and daunting array of options available to us for how we spend our time. And if we're to do that well, planning is crucial. And that means thinking ahead, looking ahead to what is coming and planning for how we can best use our time. For some, that might be date night with their partner or other half and setting that up as a consistent thing in the calendar. For others, it might mean planning in family time with boundaries around it. For some, it might mean serving uh, God and serving in the church and how can I do that and what is going to be the time that I can spend doing that. For others, it's going to be planning carefully how to spend time with God. If we don't plan then the possibility for us to be overcome is huge. So Paul is helping us understand here that planning our time is hugely important and planning our time ensures that we make the most of every God-given opportunity. And having set that as the foundation for what he's about to say, Paul then goes on and I think gives us three areas, three categories where we might spend our time. And the first one comes in the verses that immediately follow what I read a moment ago. It says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This bit is to do with our relationship with God. This is one of the things God expects us to do with our time, to spend it on our relationship with him. Paul says that we should be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is God's presence with us today. And Paul says we need to be full of it. So we need to spend time giving God the opportunity to fill us with his Spirit. There's stuff here about worshipping God. Sometimes people say, well, you know, why do we sing Well, it's written for us here. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. One of the reasons why we sing is it's a great way to express our emotion or our feelings about God and to give thanks to him. So making time to do that is significant. Making time to be here with other, I hope, friends, family, Worshipping, singing, praising God together is hugely significant and is something we should plan for. But worship is not just about singing. Worship, we know from the Bible, is also about serving God. That is an act of worship. So making time to serve God is also very significant. 
That's why we want to encourage each other to serve God here through the church because when we serve him together in this place, we can do so much more than we can do on our own. So serving God and making time for that is significant. And I don't think it is a coincidence that this bit comes first before we get into the other areas that we might spend our time in. This bit comes first. This should be our highest priority. Time spent on our relationship with God. Time spent on being filled with his presence. Time spent on worshipping him. Time spent serving him. This should be our highest priority. Now the next thing we can do with our time, I think is wonderfully illustrated by this clip from a film called The Negotiator. And we're going to watch this. Here's what Paul says about the use of our time. He says this. This comes right after the bit I've just read. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves themselves. He goes on to say, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life in the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The next thing we can do with this precious commodity of time is spend it building great families. But I want you to notice from these uh, verses that I read the partnerships that go on in them. There are partnerships. There is the partnership between submission and worship. So uh, it says that wives, or first of all it says submit to one another, and it says wives submit to your husbands, but husbands love your wives just as Jesus loved the church. And then there's another partnership. Children, obey your parents. Parents, do not exasperate your children. In other translations, it says, do not enrage your children. Now, somehow, sometimes and somehow this passage gets used to indicate that women are somehow inferior to men, that they should submit to men. I have to confess it's a useful passage when one is trying to explain how something should be done in one's own family. But that would be to misuse the passage because that is not what it is saying. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Jesus loved the church. And Paul says how Jesus loved the church. He gave his life for the church. So who has the harder deal here, actually? The wife to submit or the husband to lay down his life for his wife? I think the husband actually has the more significant sacrifice And it's a tragedy that this passage gets used to somehow say women should be submissive to men. Because a man who is honoring his wife, a man who is treasuring and loving his wife as Jesus loved the church, will never ever ask his wife to do something 
that she does not want to do and to force her into submission. That is not the act of someone who is laying down his life for his wife. Husbands are to love their wives by giving everything for them, by laying down everything for them, by enabling them to be all that God has made them to be. The husband who loves his wife like this will never force her into submission. Submission comes here in the context of sacrifice and in the context of partnership. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. The way to build a great family in this new reality is to submit to one another. And I've seen marriages in trouble through the years in the course of my job. And I believe that a marriage breaks down when one or other side of this partnership do not function properly. And one or other side does not live according to these high standards that Paul lays out. And that is not just true for a marriage. That's true for a family as well. And there is the same kind of partnership in parenting. Children to obey their parents, but parents are to make sure they don't exasperate their children. And I wonder in that clip, who was exasperating who? That's not, of course, to say that parents shouldn't discipline their children. But there is a partnership of good parenting and good children. So the next way we can use this most precious commodity of time after spending time with God is to spend time, precious time, with our family, but doing so out of mutual submission and mutual sacrifice. And the final way we can spend our time comes in the next little bit of this letter. It says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when the eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good you do, whether you are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. There is another partnership here between slaves and masters. Slaves are being instructed to work wholeheartedly, to serve wholeheartedly, but masters are being instructed to treat their slaves with respect and not to threaten them. Now, we don't live in a context, in this country at least, where we have slaves and masters. But this is speaking about a wider issue. This is speaking about an issue of work. This is speaking about an issue of work. And that is the third thing we can do with our time. Give ourselves to working. Now, it may be that there is some overlap here. For my work, for example, happens to be also my service in the church. I'm so blessed to be able to do that. So there may be some overlap between these areas. Others not so. But actually, also, I want to define what work is. Because we think of work, when we think of it, as paid employment, maybe. That's what we think of as work. But actually, the Bible talks about much more than that. The Bible talks about work being anything that is productive, any good thing that is productive, that has purpose to it. And so work is more than paid employment. Work is something that makes a contribution, that produces something. Now, that could be paid employment, But it could be volunteering. 
It could be staying at home to raise a family. All of these are work in God's mind. And the command is to give ourselves to it with intensity and passion. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Serve wholeheartedly. So when we are giving ourselves to this third area of time, work, whatever that looks like for us, we are to do so with passion and intensity. So three ways that we should be using this precious commodity of time, serving and worshipping God, being with our family and building great families in the context of sacrifice and submission and work, serving wholeheartedly with passion and intensity in the work that we are called to. But I want to cycle right back to the beginning of what I said. In order for this to go well, in order for us to use time in these three areas of our lives well, we need to plan effectively. Because planning our time ensures we make the most of every God-given opportunity. And Paul says we are to grasp the opportunity. So we need to spend our time wisely. And we need to plan. And we need to pray. And we need to ask God, how should I be spending my time? And you know, if we're honest, and this is certainly true of me, it's the God bit that often gets cheated and squeezed. Either worshipping him, spending time with him, or serving him. That's the bit that often gets squeezed, because it's often the easiest bit to cheat. Because God's not going to beat you up about it. But actually, often that's the bit that lays the foundation for the rest of our lives. And if we can find ways to serve God together with our family, so much the better. To spend time with God together as as a family, so much the better. I wish somebody had challenged me years ago when I was all about my career and I would give up stuff I was doing in our church at the drop of a hat because I had to do something for work or because somebody had offered me a promotion. I wish somebody had said to me, have you ever stopped and just thought, is this what God wants? Because I gave up some really productive and effective things. And it might have been that that's what God wanted, but I never even stopped to ask the question. I didn't live as wise, seeking God and seeking to make the most of every opportunity, to make the most of my life for the sake of God. So I want to encourage all of us to go away from today, to think, to plan, to pray, to reflect. Say, God, how would you have me use this precious commodity of time? Are there areas that you're calling me to spend more time in? I want you for a moment to imagine your life free from the stress of worrying about time. That's what heaven's going to be like. Because there's no time in heaven. And so we're never going to be stressed about it. I suspect that for us living in this new reality, it's very unlikely we will live never being stressed about time. But we can do better, I think, than we do do very often. And we can live with a lot less stress about time than we do. And when we do so, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Imagine for a moment yourself being able to give yourself wholeheartedly to everything you turn your hand to because you've planned effectively. And when you're with your family, you're giving yourself wholeheartedly to your family, not worrying about the other thing you should have been doing 
Not worried about having a mobile phone clamped to your ear with work constantly talking to you. Imagine when you're at work, being able to give yourself wholeheartedly to it and enjoy it and work with passion, not feeling guilty because you haven't seen your kids for a fortnight. Imagine yourself contributing to the work of God, to having such a relationship with God that you always feel close to him and that you're serving him and being productive and effective for him as you serve with others in a local church. That's how we can live our lives. That's how God wants us to live our lives, free from this stress that we so often live with. But in order to do that, we need to think, pray, talk to God, and plan, and plan our time effectively so we can make the most of every opportunity God gives us. Should we pray?